Well, good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to Ignite Depot. My name's Apostle Milton Jones. I want to thank you for joining us today. Man, this truly is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be exceedingly glad. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be exceedingly glad. I don't know about you, but when I was watching Jesus coming in on the cold, man, they just got goosebumps running all over my all over my shoulders. My, again, my name is Milt Jones. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite Depot, where our goal each time is to help to help you to find life, identity, and purpose within this generation in Jesus' name. And we're going to go ahead and jump right into the word tonight. We have a great word tonight, and I guarantee you, if you have ears to hear, if you made it, come on with me. Say, I have ears to hear. My eyes can see and my heart is open to receive the word that will be spoken tonight. And as a result, my life will forever be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to make our declaration in accordance to Isaiah 61. And, and starting with verse 1, it says this. It says that the spirit of the Lord God, it is upon me. Because it's the Lord who has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and open up the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. To appoint unto them the morning Zion, to give unto them beauty for ash, the oil of joy for morning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven, is that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old waste, and they shall raise the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations. Father, to you alone we give all the glory, the honor, and praise that is due your name. Father, this is the day which you've made. We will rejoice, and we will be exceedingly glad. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to commune with you, to fellowship with you, to sit at the feet of Jesus, and to eat of your word, Father God. We thank you right now in the name of Jesus. That Miracles, signs, wonders, manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit will manifest as you see fit. Father God, let my tongue be the pen of a ready writer, writing the very oracles of your word upon the tables of their heart. Father, I decrease that you may increase. All of you, none of me, Father God, is to you alone. I give all the glory, the honor, and praise that is due your name. And it's in your son Christ Jesus' name we pray. Let us all say amen. And when you say amen, you're saying so be it. So last week, man, we started a series. We start, had a message last week talking about the greatest trick you never saw. The greatest trick you never saw. But before we get started with it, that tonight, God told me to share this word with you. Well, actually, I'm going to give you the title of the message tonight, and then we're going to share the word with you. The word, the, the title of the message, I was to give this message the title tonight, is part two, which says, for the love of money, for the love of money. Before we get started, God said to share you this word with you. He says, he has things prepared for you. In accordance to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says this. He says, but as it is written, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. He says, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. He says, this in verse 10, he says, but he says, but you know, he says, because they have been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. So God is saying, and he told me to remind you tonight, he says that I, God says, I have things 
prepared for you. I've already had a plan. I already had a purpose. I had already had a design. I had already accepted you. I already approved you. I had already equipped you. I've already empowered you. I've already enabled you. He says, but I have a plan. And I, God said, I have things prepared for you. He says, for those who will love him, which means that you have to get in a relationship with him. See, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago. He says, man, I don't, I don't know God the same way that you know God. I said, man, I didn't start off knowing God the way I know God now. The way that I learned, got to know about God and understand God and, and understand his word is, I, I asked him, I said, have you ever dated somebody before? He's like, well, yeah. I said, well, how did you get to know them? He said, well, I spend time with him. I said, okay, so you spend time with him, right? He said, yeah. I said, did you write letters to her? He's like, well, yeah. I said, did you send text messages? He's like, well, yeah. I said, did you talk on the phone with him? He's like, yeah. I said, so how, what's the difference? I says, when you're in prayer with God, you're spending time with God. When you're reading the Bible, you're reading text messages or letters that God has written to you. And see, when you begin to read the word, the word will begin to speak back to you. So you guys, you and God are having a conversation. If you have a situation that's going on, man, you look in the word and find out what does God's word or his letter say to you concerning that situation or circumstance. It's not that deep. In the same way it took you time to get to know that person, the, th the difference between knowing an individual and knowing God, God's always wanting to talk to you. God wants to talk to you all the time, even in the middle of the night. God will wake you up at three in the morning. Hey, can I talk to you? And he'll start sharing with you things that you need to know that's going on either in your house on your job, in your community, in your government, are things to come, and he's going to give you a, a, a he's going to give you a, a download about what to do, what's going on, and what you are prepared, prepared to do before those situations and circumstances come about. God is never late. He may not be early, but God's never late. He's never late, and he told me to tell you from the very beginning. He says, "I have." things prepared for them. He says, but I have things prepared for those who love me. How do you know if you love God? If you keep his commandments, it's that simple. You mean the 10 commandments? I'm going to shorten it down to one. One, what one is that? Jesus said this. He says, he says, one command, a new commandment I give you. This is John chapter 15. He says, love others just like I have loved you. Love others just like I have loved you. See, if you love others just like you love, like he has loved you, you're not going to lie. You're not going to steal. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to covet. You're not going to do any of those things that is in the Ten Commandments or, or, or any, of the, any of the other things when you fulfill the royal law. It's not like people. I heard somebody say this the other night. They says, you know, uh, do unto others as others do, do, have done unto you. I said, that might have been something that was written at one time. I said, but Jesus came and he he fulfilled all the law. And he says, and this is the commandment I'm giving you to love others just like I loved you. But see, the only way you're going to be able to love others is you're going to have to first know how to love God. And how do you love demonstrate to God that you love him? By keeping his word, by spending time with him, by communicating with him, by fellowshipping with him, by spending time reading his word, by spending time listening to a message, by spending time communicating with God in prayer. Because when you begin to talk to God, God will talk back to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he will. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. Now, are you are you still with me? 
Say this with me. God has things prepared for me because I love him. I receive it in Jesus name. God has things prepared for you because you love him and you demonstrate your love for him by keeping his commandment. Now, what year is this? 2023 is the year of the blessing of the Lord. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks, how the blessing of the Lord in accordance to Proverbs chapter 22, as you were Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says this, it's the blessing of the Lord, which makes us rich and adds no sorrow with it. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes us rich and adds no sorrow with it. Now we found out that that word blessing means prosperity. The word rich is talking about to accumulate or to grow. And the word sorrow means toiling. So if you was to read what those definitions says, it's the prosperity of the Lord which makes us or causes us to accumulate and to grow. And he adds no labor or toiling with it. Now, we found out last week that now, there's a qualification for that blessing. There's a qualification for that blessing. And what's the qualification is found in Colossians chapter, as you were, Galatians chapter three, verse 29, which says this, if you are in Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. What was the promise that God had made to Abraham? Well, you can find that out in Genesis chapter 12, verse two, because people said, you know, when you're talking about the blessing, that's only for a select few. God is not a respecter person. God's word will work for anybody who will work his word. His word will work for anybody who will receive his word. But he did say that he says, but the babush, the debos, the debasa, he says, but the blessing of the Lord, Abraham received the blessing because you said, well, that's, that's for just special people. No, Abraham received the blessing because remember, God can do nothing in the earth apart from man. So who was the first person to receive this? Abraham. What did Abraham, what happened with Abraham? It said in Genesis chapter 12, verse number two, I'm reading out a new King James version where it says this, it says to Abraham, he says, and, and Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. See, the purpose of the blessing, the year of the blessing is not for you to hoard up things on yourself. The purpose of the blessing is for that you are blessed to be a blessing. Remember, that's the same thing he said to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. In Genesis 12, 3, he says, I'm going to bless you. He says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And he says, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's saying to Abraham, he says, Abraham, yes, the blessing of the Lord is going to be upon you. Yes, you will be blessed. Yes, you will have your name will be great. I will make of you a great nation. And, and, and all the families of the earth will be blessed as a result of the blessing that is upon your life. And God is no respecter person. The same thing he said to Abraham, the same thing he said in, in, in Galatians chapter three, the same thing he said to those in, 
in the early days is the same thing he's saying to you. The blessing, the blessing, the blessing of the Lord, which makes you rich and adds no sorrow with it. He says, I'm going to cause you to, to grow. I'm going to cause you to accumulate. I'm going to cause you to prosper. He says, but the purpose of the prosperity, the purpose of you growing and the purpose of the riches is not for you to hoard it up for yourself, but it says for you to be a blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you about the ultimate search and rescue mission. If you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about how when, when Adam and Eve first were on the earth, what was the first thing he said to them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28? He says that after God, he created them. What did he do? He blessed them. He blessed them. And he says, and he said to Adam, and he said this, he says, he says, he blessed them. He says, he says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. What was God saying? He says, I'm blessing you, Adam. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And what I expect you to do is I expect you to be fruitful. I expect you to always be uh, producing. He says, I want you to multiply. I, you should always be increasing. He says, I want you to replenish. You should always be filling and refilling. And he says, and I want you to subdue. I want you to have authority. He says, I want you to take because of the authority that you will have, I want you to control the situation and circumstances on the earth. And he says, and he, he blessed them and he gave the man dominion. But Adam and Eve messed it up. And when Adam and Eve messed it up, and you'll find this in, in Genesis chapter three, God made a, spoke the word and released the word into the atmosphere. He says, to the serpent, he says, you, you will bruise his heel, talking about the son Jesus. He says, but he will crush your head. He's going to take back all the authority the adversary believed that he received. So what was Jesus on? The ultimate search and rescue mission is what I call it. In accordance to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, which says this, it says, glory to God, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So many people have this wrong image of what, what Jesus' purpose on the earth. He came to condemn us. He came to judge us. He came to, to, to just burn us all up. That was not his mission. His mission, he had one, he was to restore the kingdom of God back in the earth. But what he was also was going to do was going to restore you and I back into right relationship with the Father. See, when Adam and Eve sin, they separated them from God, the kingdom of God and transitioned themselves over into the kingdom of darkness. But then when Jesus came on the earth, when Jesus came and he began to preach, what was the, all, this, the one message that Jesus preached for three and a half years? Repent for the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom is at hand. And, and, and as many people who has believed on him, as many people as received him, they became or received the ability or power to become sons of the most high God. What also happened with them? They got back when they believed on Jesus, just like you and I, when we believe on Jesus, we enter back into right relationship with God. That's why it says in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, 33, where it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing with God. 
You, he wants to have you to have right standing with God. Now, when we read Luke chapter 19 and 10, where it says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that was lost. If you look up that word lost, I mean, sometimes when you read the word saved, you're like, what does that word saved mean? Well, that word saved in the Greek is sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it means this. It says it is to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, to do well, to make whole. So if you read Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it will say it this way. It says, the son of man, talking about Jesus, Jesus has come to seek and to save, to, to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, to make well, and to make whole. So you mean when Jesus came, he came to do all those things for me? Even when I wasn't following after him, even when I thought I was cool and I was acting like a fool, even when I wasn't paying him any attention, God, see, this is the thing about God. God, it's not that you first love God. You love God because he first loved you. So if you remember way back in when you was a child, I remember when I was used to be in Sunday school, we used to sing this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You will be surprised how many times during tough times when you begin to sing about the fact that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Come on, practice that with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That little, that little rhyme right there, when you begin to sing that, what you're doing is you're putting yourself back in remembrance to the fact that Jesus loves you. Man, I don't always get it right, but Jesus loves me. But I, I, I don't always say things right, but Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. See, Jesus didn't only come to seek and to save you. He didn't only come to seek and save that was lost, but God actually sent Jesus so he can bring you out of darkness. He sent Jesus because God wanted to bring you out of darkness. See, in accordance to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, in accordance to the New King James Version, it says this, but you are my chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called you and me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He first he, he sent Jesus to seek and to save that was lost so that he could bring you and I out of darkness into the marvelous light. See, when when in, when you become Christ, when you believe on Jesus, there's a there is a there's a transition that happens. See, when you receive Jesus Christ, you don't just get your name on the on the church roll, or you don't just join the church. What happens is, is when you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, God has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. It said God brings you out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Before you were born again, you operated in the world just like people who did who don't know Jesus, just like people who don't know God. People who are who are aliens are strangers to the covenant that he has with man. He, he, he's like this. The thing about it is this. 
When you're up in the world, you are going polar opposite to the way that the kingdom of God operates. And God says, I did not create you to live a life like that. He says, I sent my son to seek you, to save you, to deliver you, to heal you, to protect you, to make you whole. And he says, and for all those who, are, who will exceed, receive what it is I've given it, he says, I will deliver you out of darkness into the marvelous light and bring you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my dear son. And I, and in doing so, I will place the blessing of the Lord upon you that will cause you to grow, that will cause you to accumulate, and it's not going to be as a result of all your laboring and toiling. In fact, it says this in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. It says, I'm reading out of the Amplified Version, which says it this way. It says, the Father, talking about God, has delivered us and drawn us into himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness. What is dominion? Rulership. Out of the rulership of darkness and has transferred us or transitioned us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Who is the son of his love? Jesus Christ. So it's saying that God has, has delivered us from the dominion or, 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 or empire of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. When did he do that? The moment we said, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. The moment you said, Jesus, I accept you into my life. The moment you said, I called upon the name of the Lord, as it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for as many as called upon his, his name, they shall be saved. What's that word save mean? To be saved, to be healed, to be delivered, to be protected, to be made well, to be made whole. It's not God's desire for you to live a life that's busted, disgusted, where you feel like you can't be trusted. He never intended for you to live like that. He came, Jesus came to give you life, not only life, but give you life in abundance to the full until it overflows. Now, when he says he's brought you out of the kingdom of darkness, what's that word kingdom mean? Well, we've talked about this many times before, but the word kingdom simply means this. It is a king's governing system of influence, a king's government influence over a domain or territory, impacting it with his nature, his culture, and his lifestyle. See, the whole reason why the adversary doesn't want you to get born again, the whole reason why he doesn't want you to get saved, the whole reason why he never wants you to turn on a message like this, where you're going to hear line upon line, precept about precept, and you will, you will click past this and watch somebody jiggle, baby, go ahead, baby, jiggle, baby, go ahead, baby, and you'll watch all this stuff. He don't care if you watch that, because as long as he gets you distracted on something else, he knows he'll he'll keep you in his kingdom. What does that mean? As long as you are separated from God because you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're still operate according to the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of an adversary where he's impacting his nature, his culture, and his lifestyle on you or in your house or in your government or in your province, or in your state, or in your nation, or in your marriage, or in your money, or according to your children, or whatever the situation may be. He did the But God says this, he says, but I sent my son Jesus to bring you out of darkness, to bring you out of the kingdom of God, 
uh, a kingdom of darkness to bring you out of, of the old way of living. He says, and I brought you out so I could bring you in. See, God brought you out of darkness so he can put you in the kingdom of his dear son. He brought you out of darkness so he can bring you into the marvelous light. See, it's not where you get brought out of one thing and you just kind of stay out there in the sweet by and by like you in the waiting room waiting on somebody to come pick you up. No, the moment that you come out of darkness, you are transitioned immediately into the light. You're, the moment that you're brought out of the kingdom of darkness, you are transferred immediately into the kingdom of his dear son. That is the way it happens. The moment you are born again, it's like somebody flicked the switch and one minute you was in darkness, the next minute you were in the kingdom of his dear son. The one minute you was in the kingdom of darkness, the next minute you were in the kingdom of God. Now, the thing about it, though, there are so many people. This is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put you up on something that remember I said the greatest trick you never saw. One of the greatest tricks that you never saw is dealing with your adversary, and I'm going to put you tell you exactly how one of the greatest tactics he's using tactics. Absolutely, he he has tactics. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter six, verse number eleven. Ephesians chapter six, verse number 11. And we're going to, who glory to God, still talking about the greatest trick you never saw. See, we read this in Ephesians chapter six, verse number 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God. This is when you talk about put on the whole armor of God, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, when you read that word in, 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 in the New King James or King James, that just sounds like Elizabethan, that I may be able to stand it against the wiles of the devil. Well, what are wiles of the devil? Well, the Greek word for wiles simply means this, trickery, schemes, methods, tactics, and strategies. So if you was to go back and read that Ephesians chapter six, verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the trickery, the schemes, the methods, the tactics and strategies of the devil. You mean the devil has strategies? Absolutely. Why? Because you got to remember his name, that word devil, in the Greek, that word means is, is diablos. That word diablos, he means his name is Satan. He's a false accuser. He's a slanderer. And how does he do it? He, he tries to penetrate your soul, which is your mind, your will, and the very seat of your emotion, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you choose with his thoughts, his strategies, his trickeries, his schemes to try to, to falsely accuse you to God and falsely accuse God to you. Now, I'm going to share with you one of the greatest tactics of the enemy. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is this. He, use, he uses what he does. One of the greatest tactics that the adversary uses is to try to convince you he's not here. One of the greatest tactics he's trying to convince the world, and he's done a very good job of it, of convincing the world that he doesn't exist or it's not him who's behind the chaos. How does he do it? He even got the church, to, many people in the church to sign up, sign for the package. When he says this, God is in control. 
God is in control. So whatever happened, it must be God's will. It's never God's will that a, that a three-year-old child gets shot in a drive-by because he needs another flower in heaven to sing in his choir. It's never God's will for for, for a 10-year-old to be riding his bike and get hit by a drunk driver. It's never God's will for a, a crazy person who's been possessed by the adversary to go into a school and shoot up everybody. That's not God's will. That's never been God's will. But the adversary will try to convince you that, hey, if it happened, if there's any kind of chaos, it must be God. Well, how do you know that what he's, what he's doing is not true? Well, if you turn over to uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said it this way. He says the adversary, talking about the devil, he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if there's any killing, if there's any stealing, or if there's any destroying going on, you already know the source behind that is the adversary or Satan or Diablos or the devil. And, and, and what part of his method, his tactics, his schemes and his trickeries or his wiles is to try to convince you that it wasn't him or he does not exist. It's just a figment of your imagination. But ladies and gentlemen, the word of God is clear. There is a kingdom of darkness. And who is who is over the kingdom of darkness? Satan himself is over the kingdom of darkness. And what's he trying to do in your life, in your home, in your marriage, with your children, with your finances, with every area of your life? He wants to impact it with his nature, his culture, and his lifestyle. But God will never be outdone. He sent Jesus to seek and save that which was lost. He sent Jesus to bring you, bring you out of darkness into, the, into his marvelous light. He sent Jesus to be able to deliver you from the kingdom of darkness and transfer you over into the kingdom of his dear son. And it's available to you right now in the name of Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, I got to share something with you. And this is why it's so important. This is why we're sharing about how 2023 is the year of the blessing of the Lord. The 2023 is the year of the blessing of the Lord. And what does the blessing do? The blessing causes you to be rich, to accumulate and to grow. And he adds no sorrow are toiling with it. Now, you know, there's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of God. But God told me to remind you of this. He says, you can't serve both. You can't serve both. You can't try to say you're in the kingdom of God, but you're still operating according to the world. You can't say that, that you're in the kingdom of God, but you're still being led by your five senses. You can't say that you're operating according to the kingdom of God and that you're a child of God and you don't even know how his, his kingdom operates. He says this in, in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, and he's talking about, we was, we're going to talk about this tonight, how that uh, no one can serve two masters. He says, for either you will hate the one and, and you will love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. What did he say? He says, you cannot serve two different masters. Now, what does that word master mean there? That word master there means Lord or ruler or one who has supreme dominion or one who has possession or power or control. So when you're reading the scripture, he says, 
No one can serve two lords or rulers or a supreme dominion or one who or one who has power or control. You can't serve two masters. He says, for either you will you will hate the one and love the other, or you will, or else you will be loyal to the one and you will despise the other. You know what that word despise means? That word despise means to lightly esteem. If you if you have a wrong relationship with with mammon or with 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 riches or with wealth, you will you will be lo more loyal to the money than you are to God. You will be more loyal to the riches than you are to to the Father. You'll be more committed to go chasing out the money. That's why the title of this message is "For the Love of Money." Cause see, the thing it really comes down to is what is your relationship with riches? What's your relationship with money? What's your relationships with finances? What's your relationship with, with growth? See, you're either going to do one or two things. You're either going to have a love for money or you're going to have a love for God. You're either going to have a love for money or you're going to have a love for God. Now, is it really about the money? Is it really about the money? Let's find out. Is it really the issue that God has is with the money? Let's find out. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Pause and think about that. It's the love of money is the root of all kind of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, now, now go back and read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 again. Read it slow. I'm going to read it slow this time. For the love of money is a root of all kind of evils. Did it say money was a root of all kind of evils? No, it never says that. It never says that. It says for the love of money is a root of all kind of evils for which some have strayed from the faith or turned away from the faith. Why? in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So because a person had the wrong relationship with money, what did it cause them to do? It caused him to stray or turn away from the faith because of their own greediness and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That word sorrow again is, is laborers, is labor, soul, uh, 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 labor and sorrows. Now, think about, let me tell you what that word love, let me give you a, a different word for that word love, avarice. If you look up the, that definition in the Greek, it's talking about avarice. Now, avarice, which is a, I'll put it up for you, which is avarice, that word avarice means an inordinate desire of gaining wealth, covetous, greediness, insatiable desire to gain. So when you're reading about the love of money, it's not just talking about like they just have a little strong, a little desire for money. When you're talking about somebody who has a love of money, they have an inordinate desire of gaining wealth. They're covetous. They're greedy. They're greediness. They're insatiable. They, they have an insatiable desire to gain. In other words, they will do anything in order 
to get money. If that means selling you out. I know somebody who has such a wrong relationship with money that their partner had a warrant out for their arrest. You know what that when you know what they did? They called the police. They called, they got mad at the party, called the police. Police came and picked them up. You know what they got? A reward for the fact that they turned on their partner and their partner went to jail. You know what they did when they got the money? They spent the money while their partner sat in jail. I know people who've done that with their own family members, all because of their relationship with money. They called the police on it. They did something twisted in order to get the money even if it costs their family members or their loved ones to lose their freedom. What did God say you are supposed to do with your money? Turn with me over to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. This is how you know it's not about the money. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about the money. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's not about the money. God don't have a problem with you having money. Some preachers might have a problem with you having money. Some, some religious folk might have a problem with you having money. But God doesn't have, have a problem with you having money as long as that money doesn't have you. See, the difference is, is your relationship with the money. See, God, what did God say? He told him this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number uh, 18, talks about this. What he says, let them do good. Let them do good that that they be uh, let them do good, that they do be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, stirring up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. So what it is, take the money and serve others with it. See, God is going to bless you to be a blessing so you can turn around and be a blessing to somebody else. So when God begins to cause you to grow, he begins to cause you to increase because of the blessing of the Lord that's upon your life. He says, then what you are to do is take your money and begin to serve others with it. He says, do good works, be ready to give, willing to share, uh, stirring up for yourself a good foundation. You says, how do you know it's really about the, it's not about the money uh, and, and it's God's desire for me to take the, the wealth that I have, the resources that I have, and to be blessed with some, with, uh, be a blessing to somebody else. I'm going to give you this last example and then this is where we're going to close. See, there was a person in the Bible he came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know what? I want to have, how do I, how do I get eternal life? He came to him. We'll find this in, in uh, Mark chapter 10. And, and it says there was one thing he lacked. He had all, he had riches. And we're going to find out how, when we're talking about, it's not about the money, but your wrong relationship with the money to the point you have an inordinate desire or, to gain money or riches or wealth wealth to the point that you would do anything, say anything in order to get it. In Mark chapter 10, verse, verse uh, 17, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, and it reads like this. It says, and as Jesus started on his way, a man came running to him, kneeling down in front of him, and he cried out. And he said, good teacher, what shall I, one, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? Sounds like a good thing. He's asking him, what do I need to do in order to gain eternal life? Jesus responded to him. He says, why do you call me good? He said, there's only one good and that's God. He says, you already know the commandments. 
He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery. He says, do not steal, do not uh, give a false testimony and do not cheat and honor your father and mother. Okay, that, that sounds pretty reasonable, right? The man said to Jesus, teacher, I have carefully obeyed these laws since my youth. So then Jesus fixed his gaze on him, upon the man and his with tender love. And said to him, now listen to this part. Jesus, the, the guy says, hey, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? Jesus told him what to go do. And then Jesus turned to him and said, he looked at him and because he loved him, this is what he says. He says, yet there is still one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have Give to the give the money to the poor, then all of your treasure, then all of your treasure will be in heaven. He says, after you have done this, come back and walk with me. And completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away sad, for he was extremely rich. Now think about this. The guy asked Jesus, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? Jesus turned, hey, first he said, hey, keep these commandments. But he knew there was something that, that the guy was lacking. It was one thing. See, man looks at the outside. God looks at your heart. Man looks on the outside. God looks at his heart. He already, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why he, he said this to this. He said this specifically to this gentleman. And this, and it can happen to anyone. He said, go take what you have, sell it, take the money and give it to the poor. Isn't it the same thing he said in first Timothy chapter six, take your riches and do good works and, and, and be willing to give. He said, go take what you have, sell it. He says, and as a result of you selling, selling what you have, giving it to the poor, he says, you will store, for your, store up for yourself riches in heaven. So you mean when I'm giving on earth, when I'm using my money to give to others on earth, when I'm being a blessing to somebody on earth, because God has blessed me to be a blessing when I'm doing those things, I'm storing up treasures for myself in heaven. That's what the word of God says. But when the guy heard it, he was he was shocked and he was sad. Why was he sad? Because he had a wrong relationship with the money. It was because he had a wrong relationship with the money. Then what did Jesus say? He says this. He says, how hard is it to enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus looked and he said this. He said, how hard? He looked at the faces of his disciples. He says, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom realm? How hard is it to enter into the kingdom realm? Then he says this, he says, uh, the disciples were startled when they heard this. But Jesus again said to them, children, it is next to impossible for those who trust in their riches to find their way into the kingdom of God. He says this, he says, he didn't say it's not God's desire for them to enter to the kingdom of God. He said, but for those who put their trust in their riches, those who who put their trust in their money, those who put their trust in their abilities and talent, he says, it is next to impossible for them to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, after he said this to the disciples, 
But this left all of the, the, the disciples, the more stunned. And they whispered to one another, then who can be saved, healed, set free, delivered, protected, made whole? Jesus says, looked at him and replied, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. God makes all things possible. So is it about the money? No. But for the love of money, what would you be willing to give up? For the love of money, what would you be willing to sacrifice? For the love of money, what would you be willing to do? But for the love of God, what would you be willing to release? But for the love of God, what would you be willing to set to, to do to be a blessed, to be blessed, to be a blessing? For the love of God, what who would you be willing to serve? For the love of God, what would you be willing to walk away from? For the love of God, it's not about the money. It's about your relationship with the money. See, some of the greediest, selfish people in the world are people who are so broke, they can't pay attention. They so poor, they can't even spell poor. They spell poor, P-O, po. That's how broke they are. But they are some of the selfish, stingiest people in the world because they have a wrong relationship with the money. They hold on to the money so tight that their knuckles are white. And God says, you have a wrong relationship with that money. He says, because if you truly trusted me when I told you to release it, to be a blessing to somebody else, you wouldn't even think twice about it. Is it about the money? Not at all. What's it about? Where is your love at? Where is your love at? But I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to, 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 to get into that qualification class. Remember, for all who call upon, for as many as are Christ, they are, they are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When you are in Christ, you are, who is Abraham's seed, you're heir according to the promise. As many as believed on, on Christ, they are the sons of God. As many as have faith in Jesus, they are the sons of God. Now, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you lie to tonight, I'd like to give you an invitation to do that right now. And in accordance to Romans chapter 10, verses 8, 9, and 10, verse 8 says this, for the word of God is near you, is in your heart, is in your mouth, it's the word of faith which we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It says this in verse uh, number, uh, he says this in verse 10, he says this, he says, for with the heart, Man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that with me tonight in the name of Jesus. You can confess it out of your mouth and you mean it from your heart. Pray this prayer with me, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. I do believe Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. I believe he died for me on the cross and carry my sins for me. I believe he's put in the grave, but now he's risen. He's alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. I receive your offer of forgiveness. Right now, I'm born again. In Jesus' name,
Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we want to welcome you into the kingdom of God. If you prayed that prayer and rededicated your life, man, we want to welcome you back in the right relationship, welcome you back in the right position, welcome you into the kingdom of God. What do you do now, man? You got to get in the word-based church to teach you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that Ignite Depot is such a place. We'd love to have you join us here each week at 6 p.m. Each week at 6 p.m., we'd love to have you join us where we'll bring forth another right now word, a practical word that you may be able to apply to your everyday life. Now, uh, if you missed this message, man, go back and watch it. It'll still be on YouTube. It'll be on Facebook. And we also have a podcast called Ignite to Life, Ignite the number two life podcast where you can hear this message and many more messages. Now, on behalf of Pastor Juan and the entire Night Nation, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And remember this. The, it's not about the money, but it's about your relationship with the money. You're either going to love God or you're going to love money, but you can't do both. Until next week, God bless you. Bye-bye.